Welcome, everybody, to Inspiration Point. We are on episode five, and I am Andrew. I'm Adam. How's it going, dude? I am going great. I'm having a great day. I played D&D all day long. <laughs> nice. But not really. I was. I had a really good time basically doing what we talked about before, which was emailing back and forth. At the end of last night's session, everyone split up. Uh, because half the party got captured and what a great way to split a party than to beat the crap out of half of them and take them prisoner. Yeah. So we could play through that scenario in a live session, but I think that this is a good option if you have time and, and this is something we talked about before, but pretty much I liked it because now people don't have to wait for each other. They don't have to sit through each other's sections, even though I think that's cool. Um, and they don't have to do nothing. And now there's no risk of metagaming, uh, because nobody really knows what the other people are doing unless they're like, you know, specifically trying to find out or spy or something. Right. So there's definitely some benefits to that, which I really like. Uh, other than that, I'm doing online classes now. I'm teaching online classes and that's going fine. Um, it's easy. My weight is going down steadily and predictably. Very cool. Um, and, uh, I'm still poor, but other than that, everything's great. <laughs> hey, you know, you, you can't win them all, right? You can't win them all. You can't win them all, but I do have a few wins and that is worth counting and measuring. Awesome. How about you? Um, I'm good. I've been, uh, just honestly practicing with, uh, audio editing. Um, so that's, that's been, it's, it's a learning process. I can't imagine um, what you need to learn to audio edit for. Gee, who knows? Hmm. Who knows? Um, but I, in general, I'm, I've just been recently trying to, you know, bolster my skill set beyond just writing. Um, so I've been trying to learn Adobe Audition. I've been jumping back into Premiere, um, like for a couple of those YouTube videos that I posted recently mm-hmm. for Nord. Um, yep. So, you know, I'm just trying to keep learning, keep my brain fresh, stay sharp, you know. And, well, especially uh, with technology, you have to stay up to date as much as you can. And, and uh, that's hard. The versions are always changing. You know, it. that's the kind of thing that makes me feel real old. Like, I don't like change. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel you. You know, like, it's crazy to think that I don't know, 50 years ago, the technology you grew up with was going to be pretty much what you had when you were working, like a working adult, like certainly a hundred years ago. Oh, yeah. Uh, You know, um, you know, I was watching Mad Men a few Mm -hmm. years ago. I really like that show. And, you know, they're all doing their jobs. And like on one episode, they introduce a computer to the office. And And like half the company can't figure it out. And. They're all like reading the guidebook to get this thing to do anything at all. Um, yeah, and it's gigantic. It's got those um, those like analog tape wheels, whatever they are, whatever those are called. Yeah, they're old computers are crazy. Yeah, they look totally nuts. Um, but boy, they could add a lot of drama to an old film. You know, they had some potential there. Oh yeah. Did you ever see uh, what was it? It was with Benedict Cumberbatch. It was uh, like I think it was the imitation the imitation game. game. Yeah, that was 
that was an intense movie. That was Very a really cool movie. I like yeah. that one a lot. Yeah, it was he was doing the uh the Turing test, right? Yes. To see if uh he's trying to crack codes. Yeah, if the test was like if if you have an artificial intelligence speaking to you or like a computer speaking to you or communicating to you and you can't discern whether or not it's an whether or not you can discern that it is in fact a computer or can't tell that it's not a person it passes a test or something to that effect i think i think you might be mixing up movies but um, I would recommend watching uh, Ex Machina if you've oh, never seen that. Oh, that was a great movie, yeah. That that definitely talks about the Turing test. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that... It's really fascinating stuff, uh, very philosophical. Yeah. It's... What is alive? What does Ugh. that mean? Define that. Yeah. It's hard to define things in philosophy. It's hard to define things in general. Sure glad I didn't major in that. Um, yeah, go write a dictionary. That sounds fun. Yeah, super fun. Math. No. Yeah, I like. Sometimes I like to watch like people on YouTube debate philosophy or politics or whatever, and mm. so often it really comes down to that. Just let's quibble over definitions. Yeah, you know, and that can get kind of obnoxious. Yeah, a little bit. So I take those things loosely into D and D for you guys to torture you with. Thanks. You're Ow. welcome. What a, I do the research for the people. What a guy. What a guy. Uh, well, speaking of being nice to each other, um, I've got my inspiration point for the night. Right. Now let's find out how this inspiration point eventually leads to love like it always does. It, this, this one definitely will. I can almost, <laughs> I can almost guarantee that right now um but it well as is i suppose typical for me um a little bit of background this is something that i have been and when andrew says a little bit of background he means a lot of bit of background it it actually yourselves in it actually is gonna be just a little bit because i don't okay i don't don't have a a huge lead into this i'll hold you to it um I'm timing you now. This this is just something that has been on my mind for literally years. Um, I may have even mentioned it to you at some point, but I've wanted to have like another podcast. I've like written into different ones, I think, saying like, hey, could you address this topic? Because it's something that I think is extremely prevalent in today's culture in general but Mm. very much so or very much more so in gamer culture in general Uh um or rather not in general specifically um and that is one-upsmanship oh so yeah but that sounds good but i have an even better topic (laughs) i'm i'm sure you do but (laughs) See what I did there? Oh, that's, see, that's the joke. I'm, I'm, oh, God. See, I'm. He, he's like, why would he say that? What a why, jerk. Why? why <laughs> so, if any of you didn't know what that was, you just, just demonstrated. An example. So, this is, this 
topic. That never happens in our group, by the way. Oh my god. <laughs> it this topic puts me in like a rant kind of mindset because it drives me insane. Yeah. And yeah. it's something that I yeah. that I noticed myself do um, you know, several years ago. I I caught myself doing it a few times and I noticed a few people that I regularly spent time with would do the same thing um, where I would bring up something interesting that happened to me or maybe I did something cool that I was really excited about or something like that. And I'd tell a buddy about it and the response was always oh yeah, I did something like that too. Or, yeah, it, and it would often be, but it was more crazy Yeah, because of this. Oh, that's nothing. You should have seen. Like if you start yeah. a sentence with, oh, that's nothing, like just stop talking. It Right. Rest, everything else you're about to say is obnoxious. Right. Like, like when you, uh, we were talking a bit um, before the show, and I think even just now in, in the intro, you mentioned that you had dropped some pounds because you've really been hitting your program really well and that you've been making progress. Yeah. And if you, if I was doing something similar and you told me about the progress that you had made and I was like, oh yeah, man, I just, you know, if you told me you dropped 15 and I was like, oh yeah, dude, I dropped 20 this week. That immediately yeah. is me taking your thing and making it about me. That's and right. on top of that, stealing your thunder and making you feel like garbage. Yeah. Like, oh, I was sharing this thing with you and you took it and said it's yours. Okay. Right. And uh, I guess that that is the way our relationship is now. Yeah. yeah no, that's that's very frustrating. And we see that in gaming a lot, I think, because we all really like our characters we all think that they really do cool stuff and they do cool stuff. Yeah. And sometimes we like to tell those war stories, you know, but a lot of times it can get to this sort of obnoxious sort of ego waving contest. Yeah. Well, and I think, um, well, I, I have a couple general points um, written down for uh, things I think that may contribute to it. Um, and one of the, one of my first things is um the fact that gamer culture in general is is programmed to be competitive mm. that's that's what games typically are you're trying you get the high score you beat the bad guy you get the best you know time try to get the highest leaderboard whatever yeah, yeah exactly so mm. we're programmed to try to be better to try to optimize to try mm -hmm. to you know kick it up a notch in some way yeah. um and and that's just kind of the sort of the nature of the hobby on top of that people in general are intrinsically selfish like they sure. they say um i forget maybe it was in uh i think it was maybe carnegie's how to um was it how to like win friends, win and influence friends and influence people? people. Yeah, I yeah. think that's the one um, where I think he he was the one that mentioned uh, that 
if you want to successfully start communicating with people or get information, yeah, ask them, about ask them questions about themselves. Right. Yeah. And and it works. Yeah. Because it's definitely a truism. Um, and I think I think that those two factors play very, very huge roles in this. We're, and, we're all PCs in our own life. Yeah. Right. And everyone else is in a way kind of an NPC, right? We don't think of them necessarily as our party members. Like there's yeah, experience outside of your own pseudo solipsistic worldview that like it's, it's a strange thought to think that someone else is in my position, but in another body. Yeah, it is. It's, it's very odd to think about. Um, and it's, this is something that has just, it's driven me crazy for, for a long time. And it's something that I have been trying to force myself over the past several years to get way better at. So when, you know, when you tell me, hey, I did this cool thing or I'm really amped about this stuff over here or whatever, I always do my darndest to make sure that I that I give whatever it is you're telling me it's time in the sun. And instead of like trying to contribute Instead, mm. I always make sure to, at the very least, give you, wow, that's really cool, or that's awesome, I'm super stoked for you, or something like that, just to to validate your excitement and how you're feeling about whatever it is. Because you're trying to express your excitement about whatever this thing is. You don't care nor should you necessarily about any additional stuff. Yeah. Um, so I've yeah, been, you know, yeah. I, I think to start out by giving that validation, I mm -hmm. hear you. I'm listening to what you're saying and I'm, I'm reacting to it. And right. I because, get it. and I get it. And I think that's cool. Yeah. I think it, even better. You could follow up with a question or two. Yeah. Right. Like, Oh, well, how did, I mean, this is something that people often do for me because I, I have some very good coworkers who are very kind people. That's and really, that's really great because so they'll they'll see me in the hall or or I'll, or I'll mention that I lost weight and or something like that, and they'll say, "Oh, well, what are you doing?" You know, and yeah. that's a simple question. And even if it's eventually going to get to a me statement, you know, it's fine if if we eventually get there. Sure. But yeah, I think you're right. You need to give it that time in the sun, which, you know, allows them to say, hey, I'm listening to you. Yeah. And yeah. before interjecting information. Yeah. And I think one of the other points I had written down here is that I, I think that the one upsmanship can come in from a from a relatively innocent direction in that oftentimes I think it is the other person's attempt to relate to right. what you're saying yes. and go, Oh yeah, man, I've totally been there. Like mm -hmm. I, I understand where you're coming from, or I understand the significance of this because I've been through it too, but it never Agreed. comes off that way. Yeah. We, we want to be listened to. Right. 
before i mean you know and we do the same thing when people share their our problems right like yeah like oh man how are you doing today well i'm not doing so well well why is that well you know my my girlfriend left me and then it's like oh wow well you know you're a handsome guy you got a lot to offer you know you're gonna you're gonna find somebody else right you don't like, want to hear about oh i had a breakup such and such while back you know that doesn't help yeah you just you know, uh, but even just the I'm fixing your problem is also, I would say, the not the right response right away. That's, you can eventually say true. something to the effect of well, you have a lot to offer. There's more fish in the sea. Mm-hmm. But that shouldn't be your first statement, because what it sounds like you're doing is going, you're bothering me with your problem. Please go away. Yeah, here's a solution. So we can here's your solution. Have done with it. The first thing you should say in that scenario is that really sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Acknowledge, acknowledge what's being felt. Um, I, yeah, and I, I think that's the same thing with this one upsmanship thing, you know, cause we, we're, you're competing with storytelling. Yeah. And then now we're, now we're in an adversarial scenario, mm-hmm. but I think you're right. I think you, you bring up a really good point that I think a lot of us go into that thinking, Oh, I'm contributing. Yeah. As opposed to listening and validating. Yeah. And I, I know that, um, you know, being being married um, for uh, for my wife and I, it's going to be nine years. Yeah. In uh, in October this year. And we were dating for three years prior to that and engaged for a year after that. So it's been Mm -hmm. a while. Um, And over over this is where someone interjects and says, well, you know, I've been married for 20. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Which I haven't. No, it's you. You do have me on on years, though. Um, not that that's relevant. Not at all. So one of the things that I have learned about myself, and I think we may have even mentioned this on a previous episode too, just the yeah. idea of, especially for a lot of guys, mm-hmm, we have yeah. this tendency to when we're presented with a problem or a scenario, our our general inclination is to problem solve, to look at whatever the situation is and go, how do we fix it? And it's a trap that I fall into <laughs> constantly. And it's one that in retrospect, you look back at it and go, of course, that was not what was needed in that situation. Right. Um, but yeah, your, your, and your significant other isn't like dumb, right? <laughs> it's not right. that they, they don't know how to solve basic problems. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's something that, that at least in some, in some facets or rather some facets of it, one upsmanship can kind of weasel its way into many aspects of life and interpersonal relationships Mm -hmm. um but i feel like i notice it a lot with with gamers um Mm -hmm. and like one example of this that i notice with with our group constantly is anytime our characters level up and we try to talk about (laughs) dude i just unlocked this cool new feature no one Ever, 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 apart from maybe one of us, stops for a second and goes, holy cow, that's awesome. That's super cool. 
I would say you do that. I would say you're very good at this. You know, I would say that when when any of us tell you something, you give us a little Andrew reaction. And we we I think it's it goes unsaid, but is appreciated. Well, I'm glad. Yeah. No, I, I think you totally nail it. But I 100 percent hear what you're saying. And I totally recognize it like that. There's often this where we start reading book entries at each other. Yep. And it can get very obnoxious. And, and you know what's funny? Like we, we were talking a lot about like how men and gamers are not communicating well. I saw this all the time when we when my wife and I first became parents. Every time she would talk to her other little mommy friends. Oh, kids like, yeah, they yeah. don't they don't it's like they're not listening they're not listening to each other in a lot of cases like and they will do this when they're talking about like the size of the kids bowel movements or the regularity of it oh yeah and it drives me crazy because they don't say wow that's neat or whatever they just go like well yeah oh well jonathan did this oh well timothy did yeah. And it's literally just back and forth. And it is uh, it, it's the same thing. It's the same thing that we do. Yeah. Yeah, it totally is. <laughs> I, and I I am not going to I'm not going to uh, sit on a high horse, even in no. in regard to that one. Like I've bragged on my kids quite a few times and I I have I have lucked out with my kids They're They are. Pretty, you do have pretty good kids, man. Thank you um you see what i did there (laughs) see that was lovely that felt so good and i um it's also true but yeah i I did it again (laughs) this this is this is the best episode yet um see how good he feels you know it's 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 so good (laughs) and i but i totally have like talked with with friends who have kids that are around the same age and stuff. And, and I'm so jazzed about how my little buggers are doing and how they've just been like blowing my hair back with some, you know, really amazing stuff that, you know, I might hear something someone else says. And in my head, my thought, even if it's, even if it's accurate, if my thinking is, well, let me show you what I got going on over here. That doesn't do anything to make my buddies feel better or to, you know, especially if they're like struggling that that's the freaking worst is when, um, you know, I'd have a friend tell me that he's, you know, struggling with something with his kid and I'm sitting there going, I, I don't have that problem. And it's like, well, you know, my kid's doing great in regard to that. And he's like, you know, he would have every right to just flip me the bird and walk <laughs> off because it's a jerk thing for me to do. Yeah. And, you know, as a friend, as somebody who cares about the mm-hmm. person that I'm communicating with, my yeah. job is to be supportive and to be a listener and to get out of my own head and to be present in the situation and go, okay, what does my friend need from me right now in this situation? Is this the time for me to demonstrate how awesome things are for me 
or is this not the time for that? And it's, you know, it, it, it really, it requires some pretty, some pretty considerable situational awareness and just kind of, you know, being able to get out of your own head and, and get a feel for what the people around you need when they're telling you these things. You know, I have an, uh, a recommendation to go with this. Sure. Um, I, I attended a seminar by this author. Uh, his name is Dan Oblinger. And yeah. this guy is a hostage negotiator. Whoa. And he wrote, he's written a couple of books, but the one that I purchased, because it was the cheaper one, is The 28 Laws of Listening. That is a great many laws. And I think I want to talk about this. I, I need to go back through it. And I should talk about it during um during another inspiration point someday i would man i if i knew that this was your topic i probably would have read this and and brought it but just in just really short you know basically uh when you're talking a guy off of um you know leaping to his doom or from you know threatening hostages you ask questions and you listen there's no like just tell him this and then it will warp his brain and you win. Here's how to roll 20 on your persuasion check. Right. It's about getting them to talk and listening to them, mm. you know, and I, I'll, I'll definitely make that an inspiration point one of these days. So I won't go super into the book because I do want to save this for another time. But the very first chapter or well, the very first law I should say of listening is entitled. It's not about you, <laughs> man. Who'd have thunk it? Who'd have thunk it? And there's a little challenge that comes with practicing this technique. Mm. And here's what it says. Go the entire day without sharing your story. Intentionally and ruthlessly refrain from sharing your thoughts and ideas unless directly invited by someone. Instead, inquire of everyone you can to discover the events of their day, their opinions, and their wellness. Write down any successes or failures. This This might be times you would have overshared and didn't or opportunities missed so that you know that's an extreme case right but if you if this is something you need to work on um then it, it could be interesting so i think that goes right along with this this idea of one-upsmanship oh right? it absolutely like, does you're totally right <laughs> so it, it's uh it, it is just about hey this other person i am talking to them they are an individual with with thoughts and feelings and I'm hearing them. That challenge, I mean, it's perfect <laughs> for trying to do that sort of thing. I mean, the fact that he actually uses the word ruthless, like <laughs> do not cut yourself an ounce of slack. Shut your mouth <laughs> unless you're asking about someone else. Yeah, you know, try this on your wife. See, see if your day doesn't go a little bit better. Spoiler alert, it will. (laughs) (laughs) Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Um, Yeah, so I I like that. I like that inspiration point. Because it is a big problem. I think it was especially a big problem last night. I think it was a big problem that led to what could have easily been a TPK. (sighs) I I mean, I... I don't even know what what more I could say about that. I mean, it was just it was a really big, 
really crazy situation. Um, I think it was a weird situation where everyone had a lot of capability to be able to solve various aspects of the problem. And then I think that the problem of one upsmanship was part of the lack of listening to one another. And then like people would really get their heart set of wanting to do a certain cool thing. Yeah. And instead of creating a plan where everybody gets their moment, you know, it became this kind of race. And it, quite literally took us to a really bad place especially in your case (laughs) no kidding i mean going back hindsight being 2020 and all that yeah we could probably you know post-mortem the whole thing if we wanted to and be able to see like okay if we did this differently or if we did this differently or if we did this differently it could have drastically changed the outcome and i mean sure there were also i felt just a few bad die rolls that also kind of played into it i mean like early on in the session i had that uh that stealth check that failed (laughs) and that kind of to me it felt like flicking the first domino right where it just kind of felt like things started snowballing yeah. out of control but there there could have possibly been team dynamics of to course. assist that or help or whatever i don't know so there was one more aspect to this in a nutshell one of the best things that we can do as people is learn how to help other people that we are interacting with help them have fun instead of focusing on how am I having fun? How am I having a good time? What cool stuff can I do? Instead, we shouldn't ignore that because it's, yeah, it's important for you to have fun too. Yeah. But we should always have as like a, you know, like a sixth sense sort of thing where we are always looking for ways that we can that we can help other people have a good time and and i i don't want to like toot my own horn or anything like that but it is something that i try to do when i play i know i'm not perfect at it i Mm -hmm. screw up plenty of times but as a rule i really do try to look at everyone else, say in in our in our Monday night party, and try to see what somebody is trying to do in a given moment, and go, is there anything I can do to help the cool thing that they are trying to do happen, or help them feel good about what they're doing? Yeah, there there was the the other night where. Uh, one of our characters, and I think we mentioned this on one of the previous episodes too, they had made, yeah, it was the one, uh, it might have been even last week where we talked about how we were kind of retracing our footsteps and going the opposite direction on the road that we had originally come down and that this character had made these big steps and big changes in their in their character. Right. And, and I had wanted to make a make an explicit point to point that out and acknowledge the change and to and to give them 
some positive feedback on it and go, you did this thing really great and you should feel good about it. Mm -hmm. What I like about that is that not only are you acknowledging it, but you're also acknowledging it in front of others. Yeah, that's the best place to do it. Because a compliment feels nice. A compliment given to you before your peers is pretty awesome. Yeah. (laughs) That's not bad. Yeah. You know, pics or it didn't happen, right? It's all about it's all about whether someone witnessed. Yeah, yeah, and it, and that's very helpful. You know, it's very validating for your group, and will hopefully create greater unity between each other. Though I've found sometimes that the opposite reaction happens, and the validation of another player sometimes leads to this desire to compete and to one up. Oh, I've I've totally had that happen too. I'm like, I was trying to help. I was trying to help. And instead, it's like, you want to turn this into like, well, actually, I think very differently than you or I I'm offended, you know, by this air quotes compliment you're giving me. Actually, you have completely the wrong idea or, you know, stuff like that. I'm like, it's one of those things that just makes you want to just massage your temples, right? Like, can you just not make it hard to be your oh, friend? Yeah, like, <laughs> like, come on, man. I just... Yeah, that can be frustrating. And it leaves, I don't know about you, but it leaves me in a place going, where do I go from here? Like, when you find yourself in that spot, it's like, how how do you, how do you make lemonade with that? Uh, you know, maybe it'd be sour. <laughs> yeah, you bet. I'm bad at metaphors. Um, you know, I think even from a totally selfish perspective, this is actually a great way to have fun. Like by supporting your your teammates, I'm like, let's not forget this is a team based game. Yeah, and you don't even necessarily have to be like a support class, but this is a big reason why I miss the uh, Warlord from Fourthy mm-hmm. Fourth Edition. I played a Warlord once, and it was one of the most fun experiences I ever had playing D anD. d because I, I kind of went into this entire character with that mindset that I'm going to make someone else feel really good. Yeah. And I, I and you are not the only person that I've heard say pretty much that same thing. I know one of the hosts over at about S- Warlord. Yeah, I've heard uh, yeah. one of the hosts over at System Mastery feels exactly the same way. Warlord was his like absolute favorite. He was like heartbroken that they that that was like the one class that didn't make it in. I, I guess they didn't have like Avenger and stuff too, but like right. loved that class for exactly that reason. You are totally not alone. Yeah. I mean, in, in a lot of ways it does what I think the bard is supposed to do like thematically, but then they yeah. make the bards like super magical. That's fine. I just, I guess it's not the way I would have written it, but anyway, you know, I did this and yeah, the whole time I just kept making, I just kept using commander strike, which yeah. was, was adding to like someone's damage. And so they were like killing everyone while my character was essentially talking to them. And it was a really great experience. And you know, what's crazy about that Our our two PCs actually had a relationship in game and that was crazy. And, uh, you know, I did a similar thing when we played in a game together when we played in that Ravenloft campaign, you you remember oh, so fondly. Oh no! Your favorite campaign ever. Oh, but you know, I also want to say you, you don't necessarily have to be a warlord or a bard or a life cleric. Although you should definitely be a life cleric, um, but you don't necessarily have to be those things to 
give someone in your party a moment, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm thinking right now of the the your Goliath character in our other game. Yeah. Like that guy could easily grab a, a monster and hold it in place and tell his buddy to go to town, right? Yeah. And that would be a great moment for both of you. Like think about comic books. One of my my favorite, well, I'll say one of the most famous moves in comic books is the fastball special, right? Yeah. Where like one of the strong guys, it could be Beast or Colossus or one one of those guys, throws Wolverine at someone. That's the whole move. And it's so cool. It's so it's awesome. freaking cool. I also love in video games when they will create synergy moves between characters. Mm. Marvel Ultimate Alliance did this really well, where if you had like both Captain America and uh, Iron Man, you could do like the special move and then Iron Man would shoot cap shield and then the, he directed around it would like kill everyone on screen that's awesome and that's fun right it's you know so and other cool. character combinations did similar antics that if you had them together yeah i mean it's the the uh you know the just god awful motivational poster teamwork makes the dream work it really does when the team dynamic or cooperation or just anything between two people works well it feels so good in in a way where like if you just have your own little moment and it's more or less to yourself um or at least it's just unshared it's not the same i want to add something to here if i can sure aside from like game mechanics and stuff and tactical planning you know we play a game of DD that is very i would say emotionally in depth yeah i'd agree like we we for the most part get into our heads you know we get into the heads of the pcs yeah there's bad guys there's monsters but also there's anxiety and depression and <laughs> like we have boy is there boy is there sometimes too much um but one thing that this party has struggled with is personally validating one another as PCs. Agreed. You know, just character A going to character B and saying, I think you're pretty cool. Yeah. In our, the game that we play in together, my character became instantly connected to a couple of you mm-hmm. because you guys came up to me and started saying, hey, I, something to the effect, I basically think you're cool. Mm-hmm. and uh that made a big difference and you know if we can complement and support each other that party can be a lot more united well night i think that there's something about playing heroic characters where i i think i've i heard somewhere i forget i forget where but that that western culture in general especially like the u.s is heavily focused on the individual versus um the collective the collective right so a lot of us have kind of just bred right into us this idea of i want to make the best most capable most independent i don't need nobody kind of super character and relying on other people can potentially even feel weak or like you are lacking Mm -hmm. in something so you are therefore insufficient or not not as not as cool as somebody who's got it all figured out or has all the all the tools to work with 
we definitely have an, an affinity for rugged individualism in the United States in particular. Absolutely. And I, th- I think that exacerbated in the RPG setting because a lot of folks will have a tendency to make these dark, dramatic, sometimes very lonery. Yeah, the sort of brooding. Yeah, just or or in in any other way, just more or less antisocial where they're in the party, but something about them basically is saying, if I didn't have to be here, I wouldn't be. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't lend itself well to having a character feel like they would be the kind of person who would go up and compliment somebody, or say something nice or say something supportive mm-hmm. or say something at all in some <laughs> cases. Yeah, sometimes you can brood so hard that you refuse to talk to anyone ever. And then like, oh, no one ever connected with me. Um, yeah, it's like. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) What do you want people to do with that? Like, you have to give in order to get built up. Yeah. And like like I've said a couple times here, like, I am in no way, like, an exemplar of, of this. Like, I fall into the same dang thing, too. I know with, uh, with Promise, my, my big Goliath, he, he definitely is more along the lines of you know that that kind of big tough stereotype power fantasy yeah kind of character and he did have some moments with with your character that were really good like they they were bros by the end which was terrific yeah but sometimes i think giving a compliment or saying something positive or even just having you know deep inter-party communication at all can feel like it's veering away from what the game typically is, which is normally like go get in fights with monsters and stuff like get to the action and saying, you know, saying something nice to your friend is, you know, nobody really wrote that into the player's handbook. It's all about like, here's your combat mechanics. Here's all your superpowers. Mm. Here's all the ways you can go out and be a badass and go punch a dragon <laughs> in the throat, which awesome. Yeah. But, you know, it doesn't. Well, really good stories at the end of the day are not about dragons or dungeons. Right. They're really not about wars or armies. They're really about primal emotions. Mm-hmm. They're about um, about love. They're about discovery. They're about um, conflict, you know, Uh, Mm. they're about personal growth. They tend to be about relatable things, even if they contain things. I mean, take Game of Thrones, for example. Yeah. Right. I mean, was it great because it had dragons? Arguably, it got worse when the focus became the dragons. Yeah. It's right. It was always at its best when they stuck two characters in a room and had them talk. talk. Yeah. Yep. yep. And when there were when there were when there was a battle of ideals, right? When there was a a conversation thick with subtext. Yeah. You know, yeah, we couldn't relate to being knights and princesses and sorcerers and stuff, but we could relate to Cersei as a protective mother. Sure. Absolutely. Right? We could relate to Eddard Stark as the duty-bound father figure. Mm-hmm. Right? We could relate to to Jon Snow's 
lack of direction and this feeling of having no destiny and, you know, this noviceness about him. Yeah. You know, these were the things that that we where we connected with these characters. Yeah. And yes, they eventually did cool things. Well, I guess Edward never did anything cool, but <laughs> um, he just didn't have time. He totally um, got to do so many cool things. Just in case you haven't watched the show, he did all the cool things forever. <laughs> all the all um, the things. Yeah, if you haven't watched it by now, screw you. Okay. <laughs> hey, it's just kidding. It's Sean Bean. If there's anything anybody knows about Sean Bean is that he always lives in every movie he's ever in, ever. <laughs> well, anyway, great inspiration point. I really like that. Thank you. But I have a better one. <laughs> Sorry, that was that was twice. I hate, you. Was... hate you so much, you and your recycled jokes. <laughs> Yeah, I know. It's not even the one-upsmanship, it's the recycled joke. That's the true set. It, it, it just it hurts. Today's inspiration point, do not recycle jokes. Do not recycle jokes. But uh yeah, I'm I'm glad that you liked it and it 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 felt good to to hash that one out. That has been stuck in my head for ages and I I really 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 want people to start getting better about it like please care about the people you're around please 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 you know the the things that are going on for other people they do they do matter and it's too easy for us as people or as characters to yeah to be so self-involved and introspective and just inward focused that it gets it gets too easy to just have the things around us blow right past us. I know that in one of our recent sessions, one of our characters went through like this big, crazy, like traumatic thing. And like even you had brought up like no one really checked in on him. And I I read that and I thought about it and I was like, I can't even I can't even counter that. Like, it's just true. None of us really did. And we should have. And it, we just completely dropped the ball. And I felt like garbage for it. I was like, I, as a player, yeah. I should be better than this. Yeah. And it makes me want to be better and help my friend create the better story with his character that he wants to make. He doesn't want to make a story about one guy who's just going through all this stuff all by himself. He wants to make a story about this guy who has friends. Yeah. You know, he, we did um, a time jump in between those chapters and I yeah. asked everybody what they wanted to do during that time jump for the next three months of their character's life. And nobody said, I go check on this guy, not one person in the party. And he was really surprised by that, uh, this player. And he's, and, but you know, he's a good player. So he's using it to affect his character's psyche. Right. And, and uh, it's going to take a really interesting turn or seven. And I'm excited to see where it goes. And, but at the same time, like while that was disappointing, it did create this sort of drama and it did create a problem, like a, a real problem, a relatable problem mm. that the party can overcome. 
it can be part of their collective or individual arc. Yeah. So we're going to we're going to try to make that lemonade, as you say. Good. And I and, you know, for my part, I I am going to continue to make efforts toward being better in this regard, because it's I, I feel like this is it's vitally important to taking to taking your friendships, your group play, anything taking it all to the next level and just and it's it's just crucial to being a better person sure so that's uh that's my inspiration point all right well well done sir um thank you this this week i read or rather i listened to the audiobook version of save the cat by blake snyder and and save the cat is basically a uh how-to book for writing screenplays for films. Oh, okay. Now, um, obviously this is not about D and D, but it is certainly, there, there are a lot of things that can apply. Well, it's um, about think, storytelling and exactly, you know, totally. Yeah. Works. It's, it's, it's about, um, storytelling. This guy has produced several scripts of his own. He's, you know, produced films that people have seen ostensibly good ones. Um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> resounding endorsement (laughs) resounding endorsement um but i really like the ideas in in they kind of go to likability at least the title does but the the entire book is basically how to write and sell a screenplay and i like it because it has that business aspect to it but other than that the the title of the book save the cat has to do with one of the very first ideas one of the very first tricks that it teaches you which is to have your character do something that is likable, that makes us relate to them, uh, no matter how rough or anti-heroic they may be, they have something about them that makes us root for them and be on their team. Mm. You got to endear them to the viewers slash reader. So he opens up with this example from the film Sea of Love with Al Pacino. Not familiar with that one. So in this film, Al Pacino plays um, essentially a cop. He's like a detective for the NYPD. That tracks for him. <laughs> right. He's either always a cop or a part of the mafia, right? Or so. the devil himself. <laughs> oh, the, oh, that was a tough movie. Um, Like pretty heavy stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it was. But anyway, the film opens up with Pacino. He has set up this great sting operation to catch all these uh, gangsters, right? I like where this is going. And to do this, he's invited them all. He sent them each a personal invitation to attend this, like essentially like meet the New York Yankees, get your baseball signed, get your Jersey signed kind of thing. And uh, like a lot of these guys, they put on their like fan gear, you know, and they they love show the up to this thing and they all love the Yankees. And uh, what happens is, you know, he welcomes them all to the event and then he promptly arrests them all. <laughs> right. Like a boss. And that's cool. But that's we haven't saved the cat yet. All we've really established is that Pacino is good at his job. Right. Which goes he, a long way. And, he, you know, so already we think he's pretty neat. Right. But but we're not quite feeling him on a personal level just yet. Mm-hmm. Right. Because none of us can quite imagine setting (laughs) up a massive sting operation against the mob utilizing the frickin New York Yankees as bait. (laughs) 
Yeah, you know, it's like when Iron Man makes his suit, like that's cool and all, but that's not why we will relate to him necessarily. Okay, so anyway, in the next scene, he's about to get in his car with the other cops. They're going to drive off and, and think about, you know, their day, I guess. And then one of the gangsters, he's a latecomer. He shows up late and he's running over to this area and he's wearing, a you know, his baseball, you know, fan gear. He's also got his young son with him. Mm. Little kid. Right. And, you know, in this scenario, yes, this guy has made some mistakes. He has done some very bad things. Uh, I guess they re- they look at his record really quick and he's done some Grand Theft Auto. Mm. But in this scenario, he's a he's a dad with his kid. Yeah. About to go see some baseball players. So they he's running up and he's like, hey, we're late. And Pacino like tries to let him off. Like, and, and he's just like, um, yeah, it's all over now. It's too late for that. And, and the dad like insists, like we have the invitation, man. And finally Pacino's like, well, let me take a look at that paperwork. And he flashes the guy his badge. And right away the guy knows what's up. Okay. Right? And he's like, I'm sorry, it's just not going to work out today. And the, the dad's like, oh, uh, yeah, okay. Sorry, uh, I guess we'll have to try another time. And and Pacino sits down in his car and he says, "All right, well, catch you later." Oh, catch you later! Isn't that great? Oh my god, catch you later! That's so good. It's the perfect line. <laughs> catch you later. <laughs> you bet. Oh my gosh! But you know what? Essentially, what he's done is let a criminal get away. Yeah. But we see this human, merciful, maybe even reasonable side to him yeah i mean he he definitely shows us okay i've got a line i'm not gonna arrest a dude in front of his kid at the ballpark because that will ruin this kid for the rest of his freaking life man that's good yeah i mean that that's like the the perfect example right I, compare that to what happens in suicide squad right when batman shows oh. up to arrest deadshot you know you wonder why people didn't connect with these films no, I don't. Not that Batman's <laughs> the main character in Suicide Squad, but he's a big part of the the DCU, right? Yeah. And what does he do? He flies up and he decides now's the time to arrest Deadshot. I guess so that Deadshot can have his save the cat moment. Maybe. But um, but then we just then you're just painting Batman as this giant a hole. Like I don't know. I don't think that was the play. Although I mean, and then he, and then in the next scene, he like punches Harley Quinn in the face while she's like riding in a car. <laughs> <laughs> so they just, you know, it's a whole thing. You probably shouldn't have a guy make films about comic books when he hates comic books. Anyway, um, <clears throat> let's see. Um, another example he points to is Aladdin. You know, Disney's Aladdin. Hopefully we've all seen that. Right. And not familiar. Uh, <laughs> part of the problem presented by aladdin is that he's a thief right and we're supposed to feel empathy for a thief you can't make a likable thief character no way <laughs> which of course stories have done forever but like yes we get that he has desperation he has limited economic options he's got to eat to live he's got to steal to eat right and he, he lays it all out for you in in song he is a a riffraff and street rap, if you will. <laughs> that's right. If you will. But that's not the save the cat moment, right? Like his save the cat moment is after he has successfully gotten away with the bread he stole. He saw, you know, he breaks it in half, gives half to his little monkey, Abu, mm-hmm. right? And they're about to chow down. 
Oh yeah. And what does he see? What does he see? Do you remember? It's a little little orphan, right? Yeah. Yeah, a pair of little o- orphans. Just puppy dog eyes. It you know, this this little girl, she reaches into a trash can and she pulls out like this fish skeleton. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. Oh, it was it was categorically the most, the most pathetic thing you've ever seen in your life. Yeah. It's so sad. And so, of course, like you can see the like, he's like, oh, God, you know, <laughs> and he he looks over at Abu and Abu's like, no, don't freaking cold, man. That monkey, you're was not taking like, my bread. I am hungry and you, you little urchins can get the heck on. Yeah, oh. so, of course, Aladdin gives up his bread and he gives it to the kids. Abu also relents, g- feeling he guilty. He guilted into it. He has his <laughs> mo- little monkey guilt. Oh, And man. he gives up his half-bitten-off bread already. Oh, man. That poor monkey. The kids take happily. Immediately, because we're not done yet, those two children run off into the road for some reason. And they are almost trampled upon by a rich guy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we have to have a second save the cat moment. So they kind of overdo it here. But this guy's about to use his whip to hit these children uh, because he's just better than them, I guess. And uh, Aladdin intervenes and saves the kids and he gets his butt kicked and he gets humiliated. But that's again, you know, it was just establishing that, yes, he's a thief, but we like him. We're rooting for him. So how does this relate to uh, Dungeons and Dragons, Uh, at least this portion of it? Well, it, you know, right away, we want to uh, make PCs likable, right? Even if you are playing the brooding, dark backstory character, mm. you should do something to humanize yourself. So, certainly, if you're heroic, you should do it. <laughs> and if you're a DM and you have key NPCs, you want to demonstrate this quality for them as well, at least for a couple of them. Here's a question. Sure. With regard to a PC, how much is it on the player versus on the DM to set up their save the cat moment Mm. or establish that that kind of likability? Well, some campaigns are just not going to really facilitate this easily. Like if you're especially if you're just doing a book module, the you know, the books don't create any room for like personal growth or character development mm. unless the DM like adds that, right? Sure. But you should, by the way. Yeah. You should totally do that. If you ask a player to 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 write a three-page backstory and they do it, you should refer to that backstory in the game and not just say, well, thanks, and then never look pretend it like again. it never happened. Yeah. You know, because that's lame. Backstories are super handy to use them. I would say it is mainly the onus of the GM, actually. But I would say as the player, you need to recognize when these moments are here. And try to give the GM something to work with. Like, I, I remember when I started playing these kinds of games way back. I, I mean, I'd write backstories that were un godly long like small books yeah right? they were just freaking huge just like i was practicing here writing. is my manuscript yeah it was i i sincerely yeah. apologize for doing that to you um well i liked it in college it was great because we had time and i didn't have children oh god i don't even i don't remember 
how that felt. Um, but <laughs> in when you're writing these backstories, it kind of goes back to the whole like I want to make this hyper capable badass kind of character, and yeah. writing in very human flaws is really 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 hard especially if you haven't really done it before because yeah really when you're writing a backstory you are handing your gm ammo to come after you with here are a bunch of things that you can use to basically exploit vulnerabilities that my character has my character has parents that are happy and alive We'll see how long that lasts. Like, <laughs> my character has a pet dog whom he loves quite dearly. Oh, Lassie's going to get thrown down a well <laughs> by some La- La- you, Your current character may be representing almost the opposite problem, where all the cats are being saved constantly, and so it's not special anymore. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know. Hey, um, but let me tell you my favorite Save the Cat moment ever from D- from Dungeons and Dragons. My absolute number one favorite moment, the my most favorite thing a player ever did in any of my games was a save the cat moment. And it is when this player named Andrew. Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> with his dragonborn paladin. Oh, boy. Oh. Saves a little boy from kidnapping by agreeing to take his place for an entire year. I remember that. That completely changed the dynamic of that entire campaign. It certainly changed the dynamic of that night. It and we are now in the third sequel, basically, of this of this world, and that is an important part of its fictional history. Oh, you know, because it, and it was just a, it was the big save the cat moment. Dragonborn Paladin. That is one of the most like optimized builds, right? Oh like, yeah, he was a you get he was a freaking. <laughs> beast he was a beast right you got plate armor you're you've got breath weapon you've got increased strength and charisma like it's lens it's basically says please make this a paladin oh yeah when you're looking at dragon sure. and you know and then to have him just do something like i could probably kill all of these creatures but one you recognize that they weren't inherently evil absolutely okay there was just there was cultural disputes there was territory involved there was you know, miscommunication. I mean, you literally couldn't speak the same language. Right. And, you know, you would learn later that their whole reason for taking the child was so that it would more easily learn language and then become a liaison. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but anyway, your character exercised patience and virtue and, you know, went in and said, I'm going to, uh, can I take the child's place? I will agree to be your hostage for a year. There you go. You know, and he, and he certainly didn't. He had enough power. He didn't have to do that. Right. You know, and uh, that's my favorite moment. Oh, well, I'm, I'm glad I could give that to you. It, you know, it it felt it felt like a quintessentially paladin thing to do. Like, yeah. you've got a kid who's potentially in danger. But even if he's not, his mom wants him home. He doesn't want to be stuck here. He's scared, you know, and it's like. You know, Spider-Man with great power comes great responsibility. You know, when you're in the position where you can take it, try to take it and don't leave the burden to somebody who might not be prepared to carry that burden. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, and if that's not a paladin's job, I don't know what is. <laughs> but you don't also you also don't have to be a paladin to to have these moments, that's right? True. And they don't have to and they don't have to be that grandiose either. We literally had a save the cat moment in another campaign. Yeah. Wait, wasn't that wasn't that the same campaign? I no, it was the next campaign. Oh, it was the sequel. Yeah, yeah. Uh because one of our players is a druid, right? That was and I love this was in my street encounter system. Maybe I'll talk about this someday. The best. The best. The, be- <laughs> the most. Anyway, they come upon a little girl. She's crying. And because her cat is literally in a tree and won't come down. And there are a lot of ways to solve this problem. Massive. Right. And every player in this group has a way to solve this problem. But our our, our player who, who played a druid turns into another cat, <laughs> climbs up the tree. And says, hey, man, <laughs> what's uh, what's happening? What's going on here? <laughs> uh, totally came out of left field. I did <laughs> not have any clue that he was going to do that. And when he did, I was like, I want to see how this plays out. <laughs> and um, what's great is, you know, is that he goes like, um, so what's wrong? And the cat's like, she pets me too hard. <laughs> yeah. And then he's like, well. Yeah, I'll tell you what, if I talk to her and get her to be gentle, would you, would you come down? Like, yeah, I would definitely do that. Okay. <laughs> you know, and then he turns back into a gnome and then he says to the little girl, hey, you pet too hard. Oh. And oh, that's what I'm doing. Cat comes down. Everything's great. Experience points. So good. <laughs> so good. Yeah. Have we said the literal street encounters cat. are so good? Um, but I think. The best save the cat moments is when there is some level of sacrifice, which I think is why I don't name that moment first, Mm -hmm. because it was kind of just easy for him to do. I guess in a way, sacrifice is time, but you guys weren't necessarily in a hurry to get anywhere. Uh, But it it was it was clever. It didn't occur to me like, oh, turn into a cat and just go talk cat for a little bit (laughs) like that. It was it was super sharp. Like when he when he did it, I was like. I, I would not have thought of that. That was very clever. So I love it when players do these little things. But I think as DMs, we we can get really caught up sometimes in, okay, I got to make sure that the encounter is prepared. I have to fill up two hours, mm-hmm. four hours, whatever it is. So I need to make sure there's like X amount of combat. You know, sometimes we force scenarios to get into combat. And sometimes we forget that, that, hey, let's don't forget that there's like characters here and they need to mean something to each other and to themselves. You know, that's really important. And just having them do epic stuff is really not enough. Right. I mean, I I think about think about how Captain Marvel got received. Yeah. You know, and part of her problem is she never has this moment. She never has this this gentle, humble moment or does anything kind of likable until the movie's half over. Mm hmm. And, and then she finally starts doing some cool things. And by cool, I, I don't mean flashy because she does flashy things the whole film. Yeah. Right. She's she's awesome and powerful the whole movie. Yeah. And but it's not till later where she like talks to a little girl. They have a little exchange. It's nice. Mm-hmm. She lets the little girl pick out the colors of her suit. Yeah. It's like, man, that would have been great like an hour ago. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. When we were like just barely meeting you. Yeah. Um, Tony Stark, on the other hand, in his opening scene, he's in the Humvee with the soldiers. He's kind of teasing them, but it, he makes it very clear quickly that he likes them, that he uh, appreciates them, 
that he's having fun hanging out with them. He's charismatic and establishes rapport immediately. Immediately. And then it doesn't hurt that even in his like moment of triumph, he immediately hits disaster. Right. And then he's got to pick himself up from from the bottom. And so there's that is another thing that can lead us to to likability. And I sometimes I, I can tell I make players nervous when I make them suffer. You know, you make me nervous. <laughs> I do. I sit there. Oh, and to be clear, I'm not trying to make players suffer, but uh, characters. I it, there's a primal part of my brain that goes, oh, man, you know, I, this is just going to be bad. And on top of that, there's also like the 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 looming DM, you know, the the DM tyrant stereotype that's out there that I know you are not. I've been playing with you for over a freaking decade. Like there's no part of me that thinks that you they are were getting the, close to two. Yeah, it's oh <laughs> God, we're old. Um, <laughs> and, you know, there, there's no part of me that thinks you are that. But it's just a lingering idea in the back of my head that, you know, the the DM is trying to air quotes win when, mm -hmm. you know, right. and, and I have to sometimes like deliberately like push that out of my head and go, that's that's not what. Well, and, and it's not like I've never killed a player character. Right. But you're never like malicious about it or you're never just no. sitting there going, ha ha ha, I got you. You know, there's unless a player is being particularly obnoxious that game, then I will admit some some pleasure taking. Sure. But for yeah, for the most part, I might, you know, the PC deaths are, are rather rare. Uh, one time I did make the mistake of uh, killing PCs a little bit more willy nilly. Oh, yeah. And halfway through a campaign, I realized that none of the original cast was there anymore. Mm -hmm. Everyone there was now a reroll. And I was like, my story no longer has any meaning. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, it would have been one thing if it had been about that in some way, but it wasn't. Yeah. So it was just lame. And then I just canceled it because I was like, and, and I was very green. So it was a rookie mistake. Yeah. Well, and you, you but, know, that's. That's part of the journey, you, learn. you know. Yeah, you learn. Speaking of journey, a hero's journey, and which is something we could talk about in another episode, right? Like we could get into um, what's his name, Joseph Campbell's, uh, you know, myth. You know, the twelve stages of the of the hero's journey. Blake Snyder in this book, Save the Cat, then goes into talk. Well, okay, in I think that's in the third chapter. No, it's the oh the fourth chapter. It's called Let's Beat It Out which basically cuts everything into 15 stages okay. to give your, your movie a, a certain pacing and to make sure it hits all the right beats, mm. right? So story beats are moments in a story of like change or movement, right? There are these sort of expected occurrences that happen. There's often an emotional change. Uh, or something like that. Right. So I'll just read a, read the list to give you an idea. Opening image, okay, it sets the tone, mood, and style, often introduces the main character in their before state. Makes sense. Almost every film I see starts out with like music and camera panning. Yeah, that's that's a, it's a pretty frequent one. Next is the theme state. Someone will pose a question or make a statement, usually to the main character, that is the theme of the movie, the thematic premise. An argument stated and the rest of the film is the argument laid out, proving or disproving the statement. Hmm. This movie is about the following. That's that's an interesting 
that's an interesting one. I never really thought about that. But yeah. well, how many times have you ever watched a film and thought, "I don't know what this is about" when you're about halfway through it? Hmm. But hopefully, not too many times. But has it happened? Oh, sure. <laughs> you know, or the movie just completely changes tone and you're just confused. I feel like you get that a lot nowadays with uh, with TV especially like these mm. these big long running shows where like we've talked about like what is the goal of this we, at this point <laughs> like we've talked about game of thrones multiple times and i told anyone that i was having get into the show i think i even told you before you had jumped in once you get to episode like 5 or 6 it really kind of takes off but there's a lot of kind of front loaded work that they have to do in order to kind of get you up to speed on the world and things like that so in tv there you have some shows that do have this problem where you don't quite get what's going on or what the real goal is with the whole story like okay where's this going until Sometimes kind of late in usually like the first season. I, I've heard of many shows where they're like, yeah, it's kind of a slow starter. You got to get to episode four, eight, you know. Yeah, I hate that. Yeah, yeah. I hate that. And and it's unfortunately true of a lot of shows, even some great shows. Like, yeah, you know, people often say The Office doesn't get anywhere until it's season two. And then it really kind of becomes the show you remember. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, even Game of Thrones, like if you haven't been reading the books, the first episode can might not draw you in. Sure. Yeah. And it, it also goes for uh, for certain shows where production is kind of going on as the show is uh, being aired. Right. That sort of thing where you, you hear about some shows kind of like air quotes, finding their feet where it's. The show starts a certain way, but you realize after having watched the show for a while where it's like, oh, that you need something different. Yeah. yeah. Around like episode nine of this big network TV show, there is mm. like a tonal shift or something happens where it seems like the show figures out what it is that that sort of thing. Yeah. So th- this you could apply this to to TV. This is mainly for films sure. specifically. And what's crazy is that this guy has got page numbers assigned to each of these beats. So that really? lets you know about how long this should take. So the opening image is page one. The theme states about page five. The setup, which is stage three, is like between pages one and ten. Hmm. You know, so if you're still setting up 40 minutes in, then that's not so good. Uh, he talks about Minority Report as a, as a bad example of this. Mm. Uh, the Catalyst, which is basically what sets you off on your adventure. You'll, you'll notice as I name some of these that they're very similar to the 12 stage process. Sure. Um, five, there's a debate. Hero thinks this is crazy. Should they go? Is it possible? How can they do it? It should ask a question of some kind, right? There's this doubt phase, if you will. Break into two. We leave the old world behind into the antithesis. No later than page 25. The hero must make the decision to step into act two. So so there needs to be that breaking point. Like now we're entering the second act. In fact, I was talking to one of our fellow players today and he's like, I don't think the other players realize we're in act two. (laughs) Like, 
that, that something seriously has, has occurred here and we're experiencing, you know, this trial of change. Yeah, that, you know, that did strike me too. like what we were just recently sent to do did strike me also as like, OK, the scale of this is an order of magnitude greater than the kind of stuff we have been dealing with up until now. And it definitely did feel like a step. I didn't consider it like, oh, we're in act two. But now that you say that, yeah. it makes perfect sense. Yeah. I did notice a shift as well. I, I wouldn't <laughs> have I wouldn't have verbalized it like that, though. That's and that, that and that's the part that really matters, right? Like the tone of this game has changed. Yeah. Like it's very hopeful and bright and happy in the beginning. Um and then it turns to, uh, this is a little more serious now. I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So I won't go through all these in detail, but basically there's a, a B story at, at stage seven. Then there's uh, fun in games, which is basically like test alleys and enemies. It can be montage time. That's fun. Nine is the midpoint. The hero, it seems like all is won or lost. Fun and games are over. Back to the story. Ten, bad guys close in. Eleven, all is lost. Right. This is the death phase. This is when it, the, it is darkest before dawn. Every story has an all is lost moment. Even your rom-com has an all all or lost moment because what happens in every rom-com? There, there's some miscommunication. The yep. the, uh, you know, some one character sees the other character in an innocent situation that looks bad and it gets blown out of proportion and the whole thing looks like it might be shot and then there's redemption right yeah then there's some sort of escape from that that occurs that it's like oh now we have a we have a chance to live you know right. we have a second chance right that resurrection phase comes next yep so after all is lost then we have dark night of the soul heroes hopeless at their lowest point no one to help them no ideas right and then 13 break into three the solution is found thanks to characters in the b story the conversations about the theme in the b story the hero trying to find ways to beat the bad guys in the a story the two stories meet and intertwine so satisfying so it all comes together and it is satisfying then we come to stage 14 the finale act three lessons learned or applied character ticks are mastered a and B stories end in triumph for the hero. The bad guys are dispatched. Uh, the old world is turned over. A new world is created. Mm. And then 15, final image. The opposite of the opening image, proof that change has occurred. Oh, that's a that's a nice way to explain that. That's really interesting. Like if especially if you have like those 80s movies that open on a on a neighborhood. And if you yeah. finish as it's zooming out from that neighborhood and you're seeing the characters doing different things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Like you want to see that the world is different now yeah. in, in the 12 stage format this is called the return with the elixir, mm -hmm. right? You're, you're changing your village, you know, for the better in the movie Balto, it, there's literally elixir that is brought like, Oh, nice. To get actual medicine, you know, and then that changes their world. So uh, again, I'm, yes, I'm talking about screenplays, but imagine building a story structure for your campaign, especially if you're doing it a custom story for a custom game, you're, you're homebrewing, you know, and this can give you a, a great little framework to say, okay, you know, am I spending too much time? And this is my big problem. It's spending way too much time at each stage. Mm. Like how long did it take us just to get your party 
from its original location to the settlement, which was supposed to be the start of the campaign. It took us like five sessions just to basically begin. So pacing's a big problem. I I would counter, though, just so the listeners think that we don't agree on everything. No. Good. Yeah, that'd Uh, be nice. (laughs) I I would say that with a role-playing game specifically, you're dealing with a unique situation because if you're making a movie or if you're writing a book or something like that, it it is a passive form of entertainment where the the viewer, the reader, whoever your audience is, they're experiencing it from a passive perspective and they have zero influence or impact on the events therein. Where with an RPG, the smallest thing can drastically affect how things wind up playing out. Like with our current campaign as an example, like, You had these points laid out and it took us as long as it did to get to these different milestones because it's how long it took. And events just unfolded in a certain way that you hadn't predicted, which is totally fine because if any if any GM listening to this is a newbie to the extent of like you don't know your rear end from a hole in the ground, you will not successfully predict hardly anything that your players will do. Anything that seems reasonable in your head is not the thing that they will do. Yeah, that's yeah, there's some truth to that. And I think, you know, I've said this before, I'm still sort of planning for sessions from our old college days, you know, where they're like eight hours long, not three. Yeah. So that's that's an issue. But also it, it, it came to uh, a key problem I had, which was kind of talking about chapter three. You want to know what your story is about. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> it's about a guy who that's what the name of the chapter is. That works. Yeah. The, this is, a, a, you know, just to clarify it a little bit. The audience needs to identify with the person. So the log line should also include an adjective to describe the hero, an adjective to describe the bad guy, a compelling goal we identify with as human beings. Mm. So a log line really quick is basically a one line description of what your story is about. Yeah. It is like the the two second elevator page. You know, the log line for, for uh, the Lord of the Rings is a group of friends going a long journey to destroy an evil ring. Yeah. Perfect. And it's pretty much that simple. Now, that's just enough to kind of hold your interest. So now you're, you're willing to listen to the rest of the movie. I mean, imagine you're one of these like Hollywood types and people are just throwing scripts at you left and right. right. That first pass is going to be like, what is this? Yep. What did you just hand me? Well, you know, it's about a guy who travels from this place and he meets some friends and he's like this, but he's also kind of like this. And in this scene, John he learns trash. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. Circular <laughs> file that sucker. Peace. So in, in, in D&D, we're not necessarily pitching this idea to anyone, but this can having a good log line for your game can help focus you yeah. into thinking about what is important. What is the experience my, my players need to have? And how can I not be distracted with too much sort of frivolity or over realism? Yeah. What can I abstract out? Yeah. You know, and 
get to. Yeah, I think this is a discussion that we have had many, 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 many times too. But finding the line between I want to write a story versus Mm -hmm. I want this to be a game that people will play in because you can write a story and it can be a great story. But if you write the story independent of the PCs and their interaction and influence, the story is not about them and therefore they won't be at least as invested, if not invested at all, because that's why I think it's important to say it's about a guy who, mm-hmm. right? Because if you, I don't know who the guy is, I. <laughs> but usually you find out who that guy is within those first couple sessions because yeah, every single character I play, even the ones where I really write out a backstory for him and stuff, you don't read. I didn't know who Lanzavere was until probably the third or fourth session Mm -hmm. i had ideas but it's like breaking in a pair of shoes you don't really know until you have been in them a little while and you've experienced Mm -hmm. a few things you know from a gut instinct instead of just oh i wrote this on paper my character's interested in this or does this or thinks like this you know who that character is because you've played them and you've made those decisions as that character and you intimately understand their personality and you as the gm are seeing oh lanzavere acts like this even if his backstory said differently if you had read the backstory it was like oh the story is going to be like this and then i start playing him and it actually turns out He just happens to wind up being different. That could throw a wrench into what you're trying to do. But if you leave yourself open to adapting and taking cues on what what to make those beats that you need from what your players are giving you in the game, you can use that to tell you what those beats ought to be and where they need to be. Yeah, I mean, you you can't set down page numbers for a D&D game because it is a game. The pacing is inherently much, much, much slower than a film. A film is done in an hour and a half, roughly. Um, Obviously, D&D campaign sometimes takes years, (laughs) you know, in in like four to eight hour sessions at a time. You know, it's if you finish it at all, it, it is different. But I think it's important to still understand things about story structures so that that way that journey is meaningful. I mean, ultimately, we're not. I mean, yeah, it's fun to kill dragons and explore dungeons like 100 Mm percent would not take anything away from that. Half the medium is game, maybe more than half. But if you want to make killing that dragon really special and really memorable, then give us a reason. Right. Yep. Give us a reason to care. I remember saying that exact thing to you several times when we'd talk about this stuff. Like, it's fun to mess with combat and strategy and all that stuff. But if we feel like we're just getting into encounters for the sake of having encounters, it it winds up with, with us sitting there going, okay, but we need to do that? Like, <laughs> did we just have a fight? 
just so we could roll dice and say, oh, I knocked the goblin over. The imaginary right. goblin's dead. I don't know who he was cool. or what he mattered to me, but all right. Or why anyone was afraid of him. Yeah. yeah. But if you've got and that, a lot of that story comes context, from... boom, there you go. So I think that, that DMs that read a lot of fiction or at least watch a lot of movies who are more story oriented tend to run better games in my opinion yeah than those that i mean i don't want to totally pick on video games because i i definitely come from video games as well but i think it's easy when we play a single player video game to try to recreate that experience and it just does not translate well into a tabletop role playing game it's not the same medium you you can't just sit there and kill a hundred enemies just just the (laughs) the sheer mechanics of it like just you, you know, if, like it's, if it's a video happen. game, it's doing all the math for you. That's why that functions. And, and MMOs are particularly bad for this yeah. because MMOs are essentially devoid of story, right? There's there's this sort of thing happening on in the background, but you really have nothing to do with it. So you go to, you know, Westfall or whatever it was called, and you go and talk to the soldier and he says, I don't know, something cobalt problems, I guess. And then you run around and kill cobalts. And you come back and he gives you a piece of cheese. And then you're like, this is weird. I know I'll devote the next three years of my life to this. You know, touch candy. (laughs) Classic. Okay. I'm not going to go through the whole book, obviously, but there's a lot of good stuff here. In chapter two, I just want to run through this list. If I can, it's called Give Me the Same Thing, Only Different. I I like that. (laughs) What genre is your movie in? This can help you because you can figure out how other movies in your genre work. The 10 genres are, and then we're going to go through the 10 genres of movies. These are the only movies that exist that you've heard of. There may be things outside this list. There's a reason you've never heard of it. (laughs) Number one, Monster in the House, Jaws, Exorcist, Panic Room, A Confided Space, A Sin is Committed, A Monster to Avenge the Sin. Then it's run and hide. Mm. You could definitely run a D&D campaign about Monster in the House. Oh, you bet. Come to think of it, I think Final Fantasy X is Monster in the House. And the giant monster that you have to deal with is literally called Sin. Huh. Yeah. So, like, when you think about the movie Jaws, like, Jaws is Big Shark, right? What is what is Jaws? I've never even... <laughs> he shows up uh, on the beach, right? And the, and the mayor only cares about the profits of tourism on the Tip. beach, right? Typical, right? So Jaws isn't just a big shark, but he represents greed, which makes sense because he's a big mouth mm. for all intents and purposes. A big mouth with a bunch of teeth. And people with greedy motivations try to kill him. They actually failed. You can't kill with greed with greed, right? So you have to have this altruistic hero who's able to overcome the sin, who is he himself not guilty of the sin. Mm. So that's really fascinating, right? Next one is Golden Fleece. This is probably what your D&D game is about. Right? It's a like fetch quest. We got to go get the thing. And along the way, we discover ourselves. Star Wars, Back to the Future, heist movies, road movies. Okay, next one is Out of the Bottle. This would be a little bit harder to do with D&D, but not impossible. Maybe if your game was funnier, it could really work. Something appears to grant a wish to a Cinderella character, but eventually they realize magic isn't everything. Hmm. So he references Freaky Friday. Okay. Flubber. Huh. Liar, Liar. Oh, that's a classic. And Groundhog Day, which is one of the best films ever, in my opinion. Huh. I love Groundhog Day. But uh, OK, but to use Liar, Liar as an example, this kid, his father always lies. He's a lawyer, right? It's like 
He uses lying to win. The kid makes a birthday wish on a birthday that his father missed. And he wishes that his father could not lie. And the wish comes true. And hilarity ensues because now Jim Carrey cannot lie. Oh, ever. God, that's good. And it's a really funny but also heartfelt movie. In Groundhog Day, a man um, relives the same day over and over again until he gets the girl to fall in love with him. And not only does he convince her to fall in love with him, but he himself changes, which is the really important thing. Because otherwise, it's just about manipulating a girl, which is not a great message. Um, just to be But clear. actually, there's a chapter of that film where he essentially accomplishes this, and he still wakes up the next morning, even though he slept with her. And he's so confused because... He hasn't understood the lesson. Let's try this again. <laughs> Let's try this again. Uh, next one is Dude with a Problem. Th this one you could definitely do with D&D. Die Hard, Titanic, Schindler's List, Terminator. Schindler's List. Wow. That, <laughs> know, die Hard, that Schindler's List. Woo, that's a, that's a turn. Yeah, you didn't think they were the same movie. They're the same movie. Uh, ordinary person in extraordinary circumstances. The bad guy should be as bad as possible more for the hero to overcome this is like just panic mode the the story basically mm. uh next is rite of passage oh all right that one's pretty self-explanatory um then you have buddy love ah. which is any kind of love story it can be romantic love it can be love between friends it's about two characters connecting mm. maybe in our case for DD, it's about five or six characters connecting Gotcha. Maybe that's just what it's about. So he references Dumb and Dumber, Rain Man, E.T., mm. Buddy Cop films. I love Hot Fuzz. That's oh, one of my so all-time favorite films. Any of those Simon Pegg movies. Shaun of the Dead. It's a it's a buddy love. Yeah. Uh, Why Done It? It's basically, uh, you know, mystery, right? Chinatown, The Insider, Citizen Kane. A surrogate on the screen represents us trying to work out why we're shocked by what we find, what people are capable of. Are we this evil? My wife loves that kind of stuff the movies or like you, you get that a lot with um procedural cop shows and stuff yeah like you basically sit down and it's like they feel challenged to see if they can figure out what the deal is before the characters on the show do like they'll sit there my wife will will watch the show and within like Within a couple minutes, she'll be like, that dude, that dude freaking did it. And, and, and nine times out of ten, it'll get to the end. And she's right. I'm like, wow, you're you're real good at this. <laughs> so don't try to lie to your wife because she'll figure don't it out. Don't do that um, ever. Don't do that. Uh, the last three on this list are the full triumphant which is the fool often has an accomplice. You can't believe the fool is getting away with stuff. Uh, basically, he's an idiot that yet knows everything. Mm. So Amadeus is one. They talk about uh, Forrest Gump. Oh, yeah. That's that's a perfect example. I'm not sure how you would do this one in D&D. &D. Maybe if it was funnier, uh, maybe it's about, a, a you know, a... Uh, a bard who's bad at singing perhaps i don't know um, i feel like the could be would have to be an npc in that case uh perhaps That'd so yeah really, like person just keeps causing disasters yeah, be really hard to do if that person was the pc so you and your party are sitting in a tavern and all of a sudden a young boy the the, the piss boy nearby he walks into the bar and he's holding a dragon's egg i have so many questions <laughs> 
And that's how the campaign started as we now deal with this and problem. Adam writes down Piss Boy with Dragon Egg. Okay, the, the next one is institutionalized. Uh, the pros and cons of putting the group ahead of ourselves. Hmm. So it references Animal House, uh, MASH, The Godfather. Huh. Also, one of my favorite films, um, Dr. Strangelove. I still need to freaking watch that movie. Yes, you do. I, have... I, I In fact, all the listeners also need to watch Dr. Strangelove or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. Yeah. It's Stanley Kubrick. You don't have an opinion here. Okay. Uh, the final film type is called superhero. This does not, not necessarily have to be what we think of as a costume crusader, right? But examples might include Batman or Dracula mm. or Gladiator or A Beautiful Mind. An extraordinary person in an ordinary world difficulty is how to make the hero sympathetic. Mm. Yeah, you're special and you live in a not special world. Mm. Maybe this could be about five people who are special in a not special world. I mean, how interesting would it be if someone in your party rolls up a mage? No one else in the world has magic. Yeah, I've heard that concept thrown around a you're the first sorcerer in a thousand yeah, years like magic was dead for for some reason we thought the gods were dead and then all of a sudden a cleric appears right you know something yeah. like that and that can make your characters feel more special more unique anyone who's interested in actual play podcasts there's one called god's fall which yeah, is yeah. literally that premise like there was a big war between the gods and the gods are gone and the pcs are basically like a couple of the gods reincarnated and the remaining gods that are not the pcs have manifested as other characters like npcs that are showing up throughout the world and they have to like track them down it's a very interesting idea also the production value on that podcast is super high like it's almost like a radio drama. Like they use sound effects and all kinds of cool stuff. So check it out. Yeah, it's, it's it is pretty interesting. Although I will warn that he front loads a he lot of information sure right does. at the beginning. That's true. I find a lot of DMs like to do that. But anyway, there are other chapters of this book. Uh, but at the end of the day, essentially, it's a really great book for structuring a story, for writing sympathetic, compelling characters. And these are all things that are easily applicable to Dungeons and Dragons, uh, either as a player, if you want to be a better player, or if you want to be a better storyteller GM. Absolutely. So save the cat, Blake Snyder. Also, uh, instead of writing my own notes, I followed a web review of the show uh, or of the book. This is by Phil Gifford. So if that ever comes up. Um, I am using some of his notes as um, as a guide to talk about it on the show. But I assure you, I have purchased and read the book myself. There you go. So I did have one question. He titles the book, Save the Cat. What specific cat saving situation is he referencing? Uh, I don't know if we ever really get there. Um, I'm never I think it's just book. the classic save the cat out of the tree I'm totally let down yeah i i've i've even re-listened to the beginning i don't think he specifically says i once watched a movie where a guy saved a cat uh, um i like i figured that's what it was I, I could tell you the incredibles literally yes, does it yes they do yeah in fact he saves like three cats in the intro does he there are more in a way he saves a literal oh, cat i thought you meant three in a tree. literal cats no one literal cat but like he stops to 
to stop Bomb Voyage, even though he's just trying to get to his oh wedding. My God, right? I love Monsieur Incroyable. <laughs> That's one of the best villains oh ever. Bomb Voyage. What a bomb great name, voyage. by the way. Genius. And he's just this this evil mime, <laughs> this French mime. That was. And I could tell you, I've lived in France. Mimes are everywhere. <laughs> There are mimes, there are musicians, and there are guys that pretend to be statues. The, yeah, there are many, many of those. There are many of those. But yeah, uh, and I think he does. I mean, there is the one point where we actually meet Mrs. Incredible for the first time, where he just stops a crime. But even during that time, he's like trying to get to his wedding. I guess those aren't necessarily the same as Save the Cat moments, but he's at least illustrated as trying to like do good on his way to yeah. something. So it is... That's a good example. Yeah. Um, I think I want to say in Superman, he saves a cat at some point, but I, I don't know. It's been a long time since I've seen the Christopher Reeve oh, version. God. You know, I full disclosure. I don't know if I've I don't know if I've ever actually. Oh, it's great. Those. You got to watch it, man. I mean, don't watch the sequels at all, but definitely watch the first. Does one. It, is it the kind of thing where like, does it kind of get carried by nostalgia? Like, would you feel the same way had you not watched it way back? Like, did you watch it when you were a kid? Well, sure, I did. But it, no, it's not nostalgia factor. Okay. There there are some silly moments in the movie, to be sure. But no, Christopher Reeve nails the character of both Clark Kent and kal Nice. He absolutely nails the way Superman should feel mm. in a way that, while Brandon Roth kind of does it because he's essentially doing a impersonation of Christopher right. Reeve, but in a way that Henry Cavill does not get close. Mm. And I would not blame Cavill for that. I blame Zack Snyder like all day sure. long. Um, I like Henry obviously he, as an actor. He's, he, a lot he's fantastic in Tudors. He's fantastic Witcher, in baby. Um, The oh. Witcher, of course. You know, he's like perfect for that role. It's just that that version of Superman is just badly written and is antithetical to Superman at all. Yeah. So no, Christopher Reeves version is going to warm your heart nice. and the superpowers are the least of it. Warm your your cockles. The cockles of my heart. Go. Nothing nothing uh nothing works for you quite like good warm cockles. <laughs> yeah. I, I tried to or, say it with a or straight a nice, face. Or a nice waddle. Oh, a waddle, a, a waddle. waddle, right? Yeah. Yeah. Words are fun. <laughs> All words, All are, words made up. are made up. That line was inspired. It really was. When he said that, I was like, huh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. Like, the, Thor just made me think. I hold, hold the phone. <laughs> wait, everything I've been told my whole life is a lie. There's no real such thing as proper English because English is made up nonsense. Just like everything else. I'm just a weird ape creature, like grunting. <laughs> this is this. I don't know who I am anymore. <laughs> so then I missed the next 20 minutes of the film and had to watch it again. Oh, just that. As <laughs> I came back from my small that coma. one line. All words are made up. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> and everyone collective everyone had the same collective reaction like the whole theater was like oh. <laughs> did you guys just hear what i heard 
this is a little bit of nose bleeding happening. Um, <laughs> I need to. Oh, that movie was so good. All right. Well, you know, ultimately, in in summary, here, what are we what do we talk about? Listening to each other in how to write a story. Yeah. yeah. Listen right? to each other and and build each other up. Help each other have fun. Make it your own fun to bolster someone else's by the way you know totally talk to your dm about like how you want to develop as a oh, character totally good idea just like just say it just say what you want what you really really want it doesn't have to be in game send him an email say hey man here's my backstory here's what i'm hoping to get out of my arc i would really like a moment that looks like this or if you don't know how to do that or what exactly yeah. to say tell them that Say, I want to come up with a cool arc. I want to do something neat. Can we come up with something together? Because that kind of brainstorming is super fun. And any GM worth their salt is is going to be like, hell yeah, for sure. For sure. All words are made All up. Words. Oh. What if what if there was one that wasn't? Let's make up some words really quick that wrap up this episode. Apple bomb. <laughs> Banana hammock. Those are two words. Compound at best. <laughs> Sorry, it's just quick scrubs reference. Valstigliate. <laughs> wow. I'm actually like stunned by that one. I can't beat it. I cannot one up your word. You can't vestigliate it. No. <laughs> Give it a. <laughs> is this going to become like Smurf? Give it a, give it a it just, little bit of context, and it all comes together. <laughs> you know, like Shakespeare just made up words in his plays, and now they're in the dictionary. So yeah, because everyone got it through context. Context. Queen Elizabeth was sitting there watching men play the roles of women, making up words, and she was like, "This is acceptable." I'm I'm enjoying this thought exercise. Like, what kind of weird freaking sounds can I smash together? I don't know, man, but we've been talking for over two hours. So let's wrap this <laughs> okay. up. Okay. Thank you guys for coming and hanging out with us, listening to us being ridiculous too late in the evening. You can find us on social media. We've got a uh, Twitter account and Facebook. And I don't think we have Instagram yet, but by the time uh, you're listening to this, we may. And it's just going to be pictures of Andrew. You're welcome. <laughs> we got we got to get the ladies to listen. Speaking somehow. of pictures real quick, this I think this past weekend you got a D&D hat, right? It's like a ball cap. That yeah, thing did, is yeah. freaking cool looking, man. Yeah, that's really, really neat. It's like this like it's like a charcoal gray with a the big fat D&D ampersand on the front. Yeah, that's. That thing is dope. And it's like, and it like is, uh, it's like 3D, right? It like, it's, uh, like beveled up, you know, it yeah. looks cool. It's, it's a, it's like big chunky looking logo. Like you could see that thing from space. Big, thick ampersand. That's also my, uh, college nickname. It's not. <laughs> kind of wish it was. I kind of wish it was. Big, thick ampersand. Boom. Dot com. com. <laughs> All right. Enough of this freaking nonsense. <laughs> Thank you all for hanging out, and uh, until next time, stay inspired. Until next time, folks. Bye. Bye. Bye.